beginning a brand new series today called Miracles. Miracles. How many of you believe in miracles? Anyone, anyone you believe in miracles? Come on, I'm in the right church today. Let's go. I believe in the God of miracles, man. And so we're actually going to be taking a different approach. We kind of change gears every now and then with the kind of series that we teach here at Discovery. If you are kind of new, we, we'll go like topical studies where we just kind of take topics, study in depth the word of God of what it has to say about that topic. We'll do book studies. We'll do uh, character studies, which I'm excited this year coming up. We're going to be studying Moses later on, man, a character study. It's going to be phenomenal. But anyway, we'll do verse by verse things. We'll do all kinds of different studies led by the Spirit on you know, what he what he wants us to learn and how he wants us to grow. So we're going to be jumping into a new series that is, it's a verse by verse study of the seven miracles that are recorded in the gospel of John. One of the four gospels, one of the four narratives of Jesus' ministry on earth. There's seven of them that we're going to take verse by verse and learn really what is God saying through them. Because every, every miracle, every sign, the wonders that God does, they're not just for the miracle's sake. They're all kind of showing us something about the nature and character of God. And so I want us, I want us to dig into the word of God, study a little bit deeper, and draw some, draw some eternal principles and truths out of it as well. Does that sound good, you guys? Amen. So this is a series. I hope you're taking notes. I hope you got your, your sermon notes. I hope you got your binders or your Bibles open because um, we're going to be in the Word of God for the next seven weeks leading up to Easter, verse by verse, studying these seven different miracles. Let me start, though, at the end of, of the Gospel of John, and I'm going to work my way back today to the very first miracle ever recorded that Jesus performed. Here's John chapter 21, kind of towards the end of John's Gospel, and we'll kind of just peel back, just kind of start with the end and then come back a little bit. It says this, Jesus did many other things as well. So he did a lot of other miracles. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that will be written. So John, like, like he chose only seven of the miracles that Jesus performed. There were actually a lot, a lot of miracles, a lot of teachings, a lot of like kingdom principles that Jesus gave. But John settles in on seven, and they're intentionally seven Seven is the number of completion in the Bible, and that's probably one of the reasons, but every one of them are selected to reveal something to us. Every one of them are selected. So the miracle isn't just for the miracle's sake. The miracle is revealing something. Okay, John chapter 14, go back a, li go a little bit further now. We're coming closer. This is after all the signs, all the miracles that Jesus performed in John's gospel. Here's what Jesus says after all the miracles. Here's what he says. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me. Anyone have faith in Jesus? Where are you at? Where are you at? Just where are you? I want you to, where are you at? Okay, so this is Jesus talking to, talking to you. Now, some of you probably don't have faith yet. You're investigating things. You're searching out. I'm glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to search out truth and faith. But this is what Jesus says. Like, if you have faith in me, you're going to do what I've been doing. Wow. Does that excite you or scare you? That gets me fired up, man, to know that Jesus has paved a way for me. Like, he didn't do a miracle to show me what he could do. He did miracles to show me what I could do. Oh, are you hearing me, God? Jesus, Jesus anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing, and he'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, I say that at the beginning because there is a journey. Jesus says this at the end of his miracles and signs. 
He's, he didn't tell them this at the beginning of the journey. He told them at the end of the journey. So there is a journey of faith that God has for you where you can, as you walk out your faith, access the deeper things of God that he wants to draw out of you. Now, I'm not saying you got to go out of here and do miracles or anything like that, but I am saying that if you go on a journey of faith with Jesus, that there is going to be deeper and deeper truths, anointing, gifting, power, assignment that he has for you. Oh, amen, somebody? Amen. Okay, okay, so I'm just, I'm just contextualizing John. This is, now let me go all the way to John chapter 2, verse 11. This is the first, the first miracle Jesus ever performed, public miracle that he ever performed. This is the last verse of that story. Again, let me start with the end, and then we're going to read verse by verse the actual story. John chapter 2, verse 11, it says this. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs. If you have your Bible or your notes, this is a good word to highlight. Circle, underline, do something to, write, write in your Bible, do something with that word, okay, that's an important word. This is, this is the first of the signs through which, here's what Jesus was, this is the sign, this is what Jesus was pointing to, to reveal his glory. And his disciples believed in him. So the word, and all throughout John's gospel, he doesn't use the word miracle. This can be, sign can be interpreted as miracle, but it's literal definition, like the word is a sign. And a sign is, yeah, it's a miracle, but it's something different or more than a miracle. If you think of a sign, what's a sign for? You got the exit sign. The sign points to something, right? So the miracles that Jesus is doing isn't for the miracle's sake. The miracle he's doing is to point you to something. See, some of you are seeking a miracle and God's moving your life for the sake of the miracle, but Jesus never gives miracles for miracle's sakes. He always moves in your life for something deeper, something more profound that maybe we're not even realizing or even looking for. A sign points to something. Write this down. Everything that God does for you is to point to who he wants to be to you. Let me say that again because I know these are, are going to be some mind benders today. Everything that God does for you. For you, he's actually trying to point to who he wants to be to you. Listen, and if if you live at the level of what he does for you, but you miss what he wants to be to you, you can receive resources from the Lord, but miss the revelation of the Lord who gave the resource. And, and and if your attachment, if your attachment is always looking for the resources then you'll always run out at some point. But if, you're, if your attachment is to the revelation, you know who he is, so whatever you need, he can be because he is the great I am. Oh, man, are you with me today, y'all? This is, this is the purpose of the, the sign. So let me ask you a question today as we get into this first sign, this first thing that Jesus is pointing us towards, and that is this question here. What are you running out of? What are, you, what are you running out of today? We're going to study the, the miracle, one of the, <laughs> the weirdest, most misunderstood miracles that Jesus ever performed, where he turns water into wine at a wedding party. So let me, let me start with this question, though. What are you running out of today? Like, or maybe you're on empty already. Are you running out of energy? Are you running out of hope? Are you running out of ideas or resources? What, what, are, you, what, are, you running, what are you running out of you know, it's, it's one of the worst things is run out of gas when you're the one driving. Anyone ever run out of gas? It's one of the worst things to run out of something, isn't it? 
Some of you hate, like, like there's, I've noticed there's two kinds of drivers, right? There's a kind of driver that gets around half the quarter tank and you're like, where's the gas station? Where's the gas station? And you're freaking out trying to, because you got this fear of running out. You don't want to, you don't want to run out. And so you got a whole bunch of stuff in the refrigerators, but you're still feeling the refrigerator in the pantries because you're like, I can't run out. My kids can't run out. We can't run out. And so you're like, so, but then there's other kind like me who I get the e-light on and I'm like, I'm good. No, no, honey, we're good. I know my car. I know my, we got 20 miles on this thing. We good. You passing up, passing up gas stations. Like, no, no, I'll get it tomorrow. Okay, so this message today is for anyone who's running out of something. Like, or maybe you already are on empty. Uh, Listen, the areas of our life that we're running out of is the area that Jesus needs to be invited into. That, that's the area. It's, it reveals something where we're continuing to, to run out and fill ourselves with the things of this world to try to, it just, it's not working. We just keep coming up empty and keep coming up empty and, and, and it's another week. Some of you are running out of money because it's the end of the month. How many of you are waiting? You're running out of money already. Out of money, out of money. Running out of money, running out of time, running out of energy. This message today is for anyone who keeps running out. What do you do? What do you do when you run out? So the story, this, this miracle uh, the very first miracle ever recorded. It's, on, it's only recorded in the Gospel of John. And the reason is because not all the disciples were there. Not all the disciples were able to see this. John is the only one that records this miracle of Jesus turning water into wine in a wedding ceremony, wedding celebration, because there was only like three or four disciples. They don't know exactly because they're not named, but there's only a handful of disciples, and John is one of them. But it's a very interesting miracle. It really is to start off, to inaugurate the ministry of Jesus. It just, because, let's get real, man. It's like, it's not a real need. You know what I mean? It's not a leper. They ran out of wine, you guys. They, they ran out of wine. It's not an issue of blood. It's not a dead guy. It's not a blind guy. It's not a lame person. It's, they wanted the party to keep going. It's a weird miracle, right? So a lot of people misunderstand and they misinterpret the inaugurative miracle of Jesus at this wedding festival, at this wedding celebration that they don't, they miss it and they make it what it's not. And I want to kind of, kind of capture some of those things for you because, because here on, on, John begins his gospel with like, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and the world did not comprehend. And, and it's, like, it's like this amazing, it paints Jesus' glory, the picture, the creator, the sustainer of all things. And then next chapter, he's at a party. <laughs> Jesus, you know, it's weird, right? He's got this one extreme here of he's the creator of all things, and then now he's at a party. And they ran out of wine. And it's, what do we make of this? What is, what is, it's, it's, and it really, it shows the breadth of God. It's not only is he like above all things, in all things, through all things, sustains all things, but, but he's actually at your table. He's a God who knows your every need and cares for your every need. So, so I want to draw some theological truths out of these, uh, some principles, but also some timeless things, that there's some timeless principles that this story shows us, and I believe there's some, there's some insight here in this scripture that God has for you today. Like, like you're here on purpose today to hear God's word, what he has. How many believe that today? Amen? Amen? Okay, let's jump in verse by verse now. John chapter 2, starting at verse 
one with this wedding that's happening, this wedding ceremony, which, by the way, different than our ceremony or receptions today, their receptions would last a whole week. They were like, they'd have a week-long party, you know what I mean? It was just, they, they partied hoard. All right. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, verse 2. And Jesus had, and his disciples had also been invited to this same wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. And then I don't recommend talking to women this way or to your, your wife. Have you ever tried this one, okay? Woman, hey, my job, woman. I've tried it. Don't worry good, you guys. I'm like, it worked for Jesus. Jesus, Jesus is my model, woman. It just don't work, trust me. I love you, baby. Where are you at? I love you. So, but I th- I'm going to s- kind of explain this portion of this scripture a little bit, because this is where a lot of confusion comes in, in kind of the interpretation and the meaning of this miracle, in this interaction even with Jesus and his mother. Um, there's just a lot of misunderstanding here. So let me explain. This, this woman that he's saying, when he says woman, it was not kind of the same connotation as it has today today it could be you know like like how's how i said it kind of negative connotation in his culture this would be like ma'am but even then i want you to know even then this phrase he says woman why do you involve me is an abrupt response to her request like he's kind of like abruptly pushing up or pushing against her he didn't say mother he could have responded in a lot of ways but he responds very abruptly like even that phrase why do you involve me in the greek that phrase is ti amoi kai soi ti amoi kai soi that that phrase that greek phrase is used five times in the new testament and every time that phrase is used it's used of a demon possessed person talking to jesus Okay, so, so it, it, it's used when Jesus steps on a scene to exert his power and authority and a demon-possessed person would say, what do you, what do you, you're pressing in here. I don't want you pressing here. You shouldn't be coming at me like this. This isn't your affair. So what Jesus is saying here is, woman, this is not your place to be calling out my power. So which, which kind of, when I first read this story, this is all confusing me. I'm like, man, this is, Kind of being mean to mama here a little bit. And then he goes ahead and changes his mind. So why? Why would he respond this way kind of abruptly to his mother if he was going to do what she asked him to do anyway? Right? He knew he was going to do it. It's not like, like from one second. He's not flippant. Jesus isn't flippant. He was going to do it. So why did he respond this way? Why didn't he respond, mother, I'm going to get right on it right now. Don't you worry. He was going to do it anyway. So it's what, it's what he did, but it's not what he said. Right? So why, why did he respond this way? Here's the answer. I believe why Jesus responds in a kind of an abrupt way to his mother is because he wanted his mom, his brothers and sisters who would have been there, his disciples who would have been there, um, to know that, that I do not respond, my authority and my power does not respond to any earthly person. Yes, you are my, my mother, but, but who I am and who I respond to is not you, woman. 
And he could have said, no, 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 that sounds awful, right? But he could have said mom or anything, but he was like, he was making a distinction. I am here to do the will of my father. Remember a few weeks ago when I told you there was a point where, where his mom and brothers and sisters came out and tried to get Jesus out of the house. And he was teaching, and he said, no, no, who's my mother and my brother? These are my brother and my brother, whoever does the will of my heavenly father in heaven. So he was drawing a line that what I'm about to do is not preferential treatment because of who, how close you are, or what status you have, or, or you're a part of my family, nor is salvation given because of your family, your status, or your prestige. I do not respond to you. I respond to my father. And so he wanted to draw a line of distinction there because he was going to do the miracle, and he did not want there to be a misinterpretation that the miracle was because mama told him to, because he don't do what mama told him to. He does what daddy told him to. Amen, somebody, okay? So why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. Let's continue. His mother, he, he, although he was kind of abrupt with it, she still goes, hey, to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used for the, uh, by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding, look at this, 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said, continue, Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them, it says, to the brim. Now, this would have made a 1,000 bottles of wine, which is a lot of liquor, a lot of wine, okay? And I'm not, see, this is where people get all misinterpreting and all, like, okay, I'm not even going to get on that today. I need to teach this text. Here's, here's what I want you to know. Here, why? Why do you make a 1,000 bottles? Because he's the God of more than enough. That's why. Always, always. He is the God of more than enough. And here's what he tells them. He tells them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. But he didn't realize, check this out, look at this. He didn't realize where it had come from. Though the servants who had drawn the water out, they knew. So he tasted the product, but he didn't know the process. See, those who know that God is working are not those who come and sip, it's those who come and serve. Come on, will you give it up for everyone who's serving the house of God today? Who's serving inside the dream team, those serving kids and behind the scenes, man. Those are the people who know that God is working. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Those people who are serving can see God, how he's working. Okay, then he continues. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, and it's important so the master of the banquet calls the bridegroom aside to speak to him because this is weddings in this time. Let me kind of give you some context. It would take a year of preparation after you were betrothed to someone to actually have the ceremony. In that year, the bridegroom is making preparation so that he can take care of his wife and his future family. And the first responsibility that the bridegroom has to show, I am a good provider. I can provide for my wife and my family is to conduct a ceremony that is a week long and make sure all provisions are made for all the guests. And if there are not provisions that are made, if you run out, if something doesn't go off, it shows, it reveals this bridegroom is not ready to be married. He's not ready to support this wife. He's not ready to have kids. And it's a shameful, it's a disgraceful thing, so much so that they actually had laws there could be a litigation process if, if, if you run out of wine at a ceremony. The, the, the law would state that the mother-in-law can sue the bridegroom if he ran out of wine. Come on, talk about a dysfunctional relationship, dude. 
Like, like, so this is the, that's why he comes to the bridegroom who's, who's supposed to be in charge of all these things. And he says, everyone brings out, I love this, look at this, everyone brings out choice wine first. This is how the world does it. This is the difference. This is how the world does it. They bring you the, like they make big promises. Oh, here's what you need. Oh, they'll give you satisfaction. This will get you what you want. This will get you happiness and fulfillment. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. See, this is the way the world works. It's good for a little while, the, world, the, the world's way, but eventually it runs out. It runs out, it leaves you empty, you run out again, you're trying to go back to these wells, it just doesn't satisfy like it used to. And he goes, you did it different, you did it better. Can I tell you something, in Christ, life is better. That your marriage is better. Your mind is better, your habits are better. Your best days are ahead of you, not behind you, in Jesus. He says, you saved the best until now, so let me draw some principles for you, some truths here. Number one, write this down. Some miracles can only happen when you run out. Like Jesus let it run out. He let it run out. And look, he didn't let you run out to leave you. Can I say that to you right now? He didn't let you run out to leave you right where you are. He let you run out so he could give you something better than what you brought to the party in the first place. He, he, he let it run out, and it would do you well. It would do some of you good to run out so that God can show up. To run out. Some of you need to run out of excuses already. You need to run out. You need to run out of the excuses. Some of you need to run out of options. Run out, like, like the woman with the issue of blood that we're going to study here in a, in, in a few weeks. She, she had this issue. She, she ran out of all of her money, all the options, running to these physicians who just made the matters worse. Here she was at the end of it all, run out of options, coming to the one who needed to come to in the first place. You see, Jesus is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He should be our first option, but he's oftentimes the last resort. Come on, but aren't you thankful that, that he's not just the beginning, but he's there for you at the end, that even when you've exhausted all the options, he's still there waiting for you. He is not just the beginning, but he is there at the, at the end. It would do you well to run out of plans, option, money. It would position Jesus in your life just to do a miracle. The Hebrews are trapped at the Red Sea with the Egyptians on their tail. When it seemed to be there is no way they can go, God makes a way. It's, it, sometimes you need to run out, and God will let you run out and not leave you there, but so that he can give you what you were always intended to have in the first place. Look at verse 3. It says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. This was not news to Jesus. Come on, Jesus already knew this. So she wasn't, she wasn't telling Jesus to inform him. She was telling Jesus to involve him. How many your your mom ever tell you um, that your floor is dirty? Hey, you got the, you, your floor is dirty. Is she telling you to inform you or involve you? What she's really saying is, pick these clothes up. Okay, so how many of your, your sometimes we're praying, and you're, you're informing Jesus, not really involving Jesus. So, so you act like Jesus' administrative assistant. Uh, God, I'm just checking in with you, Jesus. 
There was, you know that appointment yesterday, I needed you and I asked you to do something. I just want to put it back on your schedule again. Like that, I think if you can get to that, I really would like you to get to that. And you're informing Jesus instead of, sometimes you're just, you're worrying out loud, not really inviting Jesus to be your solution. Oh God, help me, I really need, God, I don't want to go do it, I don't want to do it, I don't want to do it. And God wants to know your cares, but like, we shouldn't just be informing him of our problems, but involving him in the situation. Here's Jesus' response again, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not come, and I love her response. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Even after the abrupt response, like, why are you involving me in this? She's like, sometimes you, people ask, like, did Mary know? Mary, did you know? She knew something. She knew something. I don't think she knew all of it, but here's the deal. You don't need to know what to do. You just need to know who to go to, okay? She didn't know exactly what was going to happen or how it was going to happen, but Mary knew who to go to. Some of you don't know what to do right now. You don't know what to do. You're running out on empty. You don't want to. You're out of answers. You're, you're, at the, you're at the Red Sea. You're at the dead end. You don't know what to do, but if you knew who to go to, if you knew who to go to. See, the reason why some of you are running out is because you're running to people who don't have what you need. They don't have it, and they can't give it, and you're running to the wrong people. You're running to the wrong resources. She says, do, do whatever he tells you to do, to which some of you have probably thought before, I would do whatever he told me to do if I knew what do you want me to do? How many of you ever had this thought? If I knew, come ask my prayers. Most of my prayers are like, God, what do you want me to do? What am I supposed to do? Help me, God. What am I supposed to do? If I knew, because that sounds really easy, Mary, do whatever he tells you to do. Well, if I knew what he wanted me to do, then I'd do it. Okay? People, and people do all kinds of weird stuff saying that God told them to do it, don't they? They do. Because they don't really know what God told them to do, so they invent things that they think God told them to do. I mean, over-spiritualizing weird people, okay? I'm just saying, you probably got a few on your row. I love you, but they're, they're around, okay? It's the kind of people that are like, you wore today. Oh, God told me to roll, wore, wear pink today. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Ugh. I love you. I love you. I love you. I'm sorry. It's like they make stuff up. You, they make stuff up, what God wants me to do, and, and it's, it's like, they, like I'm teaching on John, and, and they, don't know, they don't know what to do, and who should I date, and who should I, and then, oh, Pastor Jason's teaching on John. The guy's name is John. There's the sign. There's a sign, God. John. <laughs> you inventing things. If I knew what to do, I'd do it. Have you ever been there? And let me flip that. But if you would just do what you knew to do. Oh, come on now, somebody. If you would just do what you knew to do, God would do what only he can do. Your problem isn't not knowing what to do. Your problem is you're not doing what you already know what to do. Oh, so, so let me give you an example. You already know what to do to get healthy and lose weight. You already know what to do. Oh, if I got a gym membership, that's what I need. I need gym membership. I need a meal plan. Let me get a meal prep. Oh, I need this app. I need this app. I need, you already know what to do. Calories, exercise, boom. If you just know, you already know, but you're not doing it. You're thinking it's all these other things, looking for a side. Look, if you knew, if you would just do what you already know to do, you already know what to do to save your marriage. You already know what to do. You already know you got to forgive it. You got to let it go. You got to trust. You got to love. You already know what to do. If you would just do what you already knew what to do, God would do what only he could do in that marriage. 
If you would just do it. If you would do it, man, you already know what to do to grow spiritually. Some of you are like, oh, man, I'm just like, I'm not feeling it. If you would just do what you knew to do, read your Bible, pray, serve, give. If you would just do what you knew to do, you're inviting God to do what only he can do in that situation. Do, do, do. See, turn to your neighbor and tell him, uh, you already know. Come on. You already know. You already know what to do. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. It's not in the knowing but in the doing that creates a miracle. It's not in the knowing, but here, here's, what, here's what she says. Look what she says. Do, 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 do. Go back to five. Go back to five. Boom, 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 boom. Hey, go back to five. Go to the next verse. Did it freeze? There you go. Do whatever he tells you to do. She didn't say, hey, servants, I want you to understand what he's about to say. Get out your pen and paper. No, hey, I want you to know. No, no, no. Do, 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 do whatever he tells you to do. The miracle comes not when you know, because you know. You already know. You already know. Hey, you already know what you need to do. You already know what you need to do. You already know what you need to do in that relationship. You already know what you, do with, what you need to do with your money. You already know what you need to do with your health. You already know what you need to do with your kids. You already know. You already know. You already know. You already know. You just need to do. You need to do what you know you need to do. And you're inviting God to do what he, only he can do in that situation. So, so what is Jesus pointing to here when you run out? For anyone who's running out, Jesus kind of, he, he, he has the answer. He's got, like, he's the right source. But he points to a few things that I want you to see that what God would reveal to you who are running out today. Here's the answer. Write these down. Number one, it's nearby. Hey, when you're running out, your answer is closer than you think. We get so caught up in pointing to what's not there. But Jesus doesn't point them to what they need. He points them to what they have. John chapter 2, verse 6. Look what it says, near, nearby. In the middle of their need. Oh, there was the solution right there, nearby. He didn't point them to what they need. He didn't say, oh, you need to fire that wedding planner, man. Look at that. Jeez, man, did you guys not think about going to the store? Man, what's wrong with you? How many? What's, what, he, didn't, he didn't ridicule them. He didn't get on to them. He just, he didn't point them to what they need. He pointed them to what they have. So what is nearby that if you pour yourself into, God will begin to move in your life? What is nearby? What is nearby that you're, you're it's, it's the, the miracle was in something they had already walked by earlier that day. Every one of them walked by the same the same thing. It was right there, and they're overlooking. So, so it's, maybe it's, it's in that Bible plan that you quit last month. It's so close. It's right there. It's right there. Maybe it's just restarting that thing. That, that it's just, maybe, maybe it's in the, in the woman that you call wife. Men are funny. Men will travel 100 miles to a men's conference to, to hear stuff about the man or the husband they're supposed to be instead of listening to the woman that they live with. It's near, turn to somebody and say, it's nearby. It's nearby, man. It's, it's that exercise plan that you already have. Come on now. You already have the exercise plan. You already have it. It's right there. You know what it is. It's the meal plan you already have. It's, it's the pile of books sitting on my desk that I haven't read. I shouldn't buy any more books. I bought enough books from last year and this year. I don't need any more books. It, it's right. It's, I'm passing by it every morning. The answer is nearby. It's nearby. It's nearby. The reason why we don't see things that are nearby is because of this. When something is close, we see it as common. What are you overlooking in your life? What are you overlooking? What are you passing by? Here's what, verse 6 again, look what it says, nearby, nearby. What? Stood six stone 
water jars, the kind that were used by the Jews for ceremonial washings. These were things that, like, every home had these. You just wa- you'd wash before you come in. To, so not only is it nearby, here's the second thing. It's normal. It's something normal that you're looking for and you're overlooking. The Bible says we have these treasures in earthen vessels. You're looking for something that's out of the ordinary, but that's not how God works. That's not. You're you're praying, God, use me, use me, do something. And you're looking for something supernatural, but God takes the natural and makes it super. So when you're saying, God, use me, you're overlooking the the normal because what God is probably saying to your God, use me, is sure, Go home and have dinner with your family. Okay, you want me to use you? Show up to work on time. Hey, it's normal. It's, I'm telling you, it's not going to be extra. It's normal. It's, normal. it's not going to be sexy. It's not going to be exciting. What got it? The answer, the solution is it's nearby. It's normal. I wonder what you've been passing up because it looks normal. I wonder. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 God tells us that it's these foolish things of the world that God uses. It's actually a shame to the wise. It's the weak things of the world. He does it intentionally to shame the wise. Like God uses ordinary, normal, just a little sampling. All throughout the scripture we see this. It's just a normal, ordinary staff that God uses in the hands of Moses. Moses is like, I can't do it. Don't, don't, I, I can't even speak right. And God tells in Exodus 4, 2, you can go read these later. He says, what's in your hand, Moses? Whatever's in your hand, I will use for my glory. I'm not going to use something outside of your hand. Whatever it is, it's just an ordinary staff. For David, it was just an ordinary stone. A small, tiny, smooth rock empowered by the momentum and the purpose of God can take out any giant in your life. It's just a staff, it's just a stone, it's just a small meal that a boy took to have lunch, a few loaves, a few fishes, put in the hands of Jesus, can do a miracle. It's just a little flour and oil. All throughout the scriptures you see this. This is what God is using. You're looking for something extraordinary. No, 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 no. God uses the ordinary things. It's just a common criminal's cross. Something that is a picture of death and anger and frustration and punishment. God will transform even those things in your life for his glory and his goodness. See, God specializes in using the ordinary to accomplish the extraordinary. You're looking at it backwards. You're looking for the extraordinary to do your ordinary. It's normal. It's normal. Turn to someone and tell them it's normal. It's just, it's, it's just the jars. It's just jars. Common ceremonial washing jars. They walk by all the time. They use it all the time, which is another beautiful symbol of what Jesus is doing in this inaugurative miracle. Jesus, check this out. The wine in, in, in the Bible, wine, the wine represents Jesus' blood. That's what it represents. So, so even when Jesus was in the Last Supper, he takes the bread, right? And he says, this is my body. He takes the wine. He says, this is my blood. So all throughout the New Testament, you see wine or the grape, the vine. That's a representation of his life, of his, of his blood. And so what Jesus does is he puts new wine into vessels for purification. So, so what he's saying is, my blood will purify you. From the inside out, you'll, you'll have to wash your hands again and again. You'll have to perform this ceremony, this ritual, this law to be clean again and again. But my blood will clean you forever. See, the water in the jars, they cleanse you ceremonially, but the blood of Jesus cleanses you permanently. Permanently. This is what he's showing us. This is what this, is what this miracle, this inaugurative miracle is showing that 
that he is the blood that cleanses. He is. Not only is he the blood that cleanses, not only is it nearby, not only is it normal, but write this last one down. Write this last one. It's right now. It's right now. Some of you are still waiting. You're waiting. You're looking. You're waiting. Verse 8, look what it says. Jesus said, now. Now, fill it up to the brim. Now, draw it out. Not after I've explained it to you. No, now. He didn't tell him, hey, when you draw it out, you're going to start to see it's going to turn purple at this point. He didn't break it down for him. He didn't tell him how. He didn't say, hey, in the molecular uh, uh, d- d- water H2O, and this is, and look, come on in. Let me draw this up for you guys. This is how it's going to work. He didn't do that. He said, do it now. Do it now. I got, Jesus never points to what's next without dealing with what's now. He didn't point to what they should have done. He pointed to what they could do now. Some of you are too caught up in what you could have done or should have done. He's pointing to what you could do now, now, now. It's right now. It's right now. See, miracles aren't meant to be understood anyway. They're meant to be believed. You can't understand how God works. You can't comprehend it. That's why it's a miracle. It wouldn't be a miracle if you could understand and comprehend it. So, so what is Jesus pointing to? Because this is what the sign is for, right? It's pointing to something. Here's what it's pointing to. Look, before you put away your stuff. He's pointing to that he is the ultimate purifier. That Jesus is the ultimate purifier. Not only that, I love this, that the inaugural miracle that Jesus does is at a wedding. Do you know, do you know what the final, in Revelation chapter 19, what ends it all and closes it, closes it all up in heaven is the wedding supper of the Lamb. He begins with the wedding ceremony that reveals he is an obedient son to his heavenly father, not earthly, his heavenly father. He's the ultimate purifier. And he is, he is the all-providing bridegroom. See the, see, the bridegroom failed to provide, which is a picture. This is a picture. This is what it's pointing to. You cannot do it. You will come up short. You cannot cleanse yourself, provide for yourself, meet all of your needs, and you were never meant to. But he is the all-providing bridegroom. And all throughout the scripture, Jesus is called the bridegroom, and we're called his bride, the church. And at this wedding supper of the Lamb, we reunite with him in a covenant commitment with our Lord and Savior. So he's the purifier. He's the, the provider. And I'm telling you, look, it's nearby. For some of you that you feel like you're running up empty, you keep coming up empty, or maybe you are empty in different areas of your life, it's nearby. Your solution. You're, pro- you're walking by it. You're overlooking it. It's normal, right? You've driven by the church. You've heard about Jesus. You've heard about, like, you know what to do already. And you say, but can it be that simple? Yeah. Yeah. Surrender. Surrender. You can continue to try to go back to that filling up on what the world has, but you always have to go back to it. And it just gets a weaker weaker and weaker, less satisfying and less satisfying and less satisfying. But in Christ, it gets better. It's now. It's actually right now. That's, that's, it's not like the time. It's now. It's, you don't have the time. We don't have the time. It's right now. And for some of you, it's like maybe the first time is right now. That you need to stop going to the wrong sources. Surrender to Jesus.